Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Today is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. Even as we continue to weep with those who weep, we are rejoicing with those who rejoice. And with me this morning, Nicole Phillips, uh, to share with us a kindness story. You can find her and lots of stories at NicoleJPhillips.com. Nicole, welcome back. Well, hi, Carmen. I'm going to share a story today from my second book because I just feel like sometimes we can get annoyed with people. Do you ever get annoyed with people or are you beyond that? (laughs) I'll just not. <laughs> she just laughed. I think I should not confess here publicly to such a sin. No, I, I'm not even sure that it's a sin to be annoyed with people sometimes, right? No, it's not. I mean, people, but, you know, people, you know, if people are annoying, then to be annoyed by them is like a legit response. But how I act in my annoyance is critical. That is exactly right. And so this woman, Mavis, she's from Alexandria, Minnesota. She said that she realized that their church nursery was not soundproof. And I don't know if you've ever been in a congregation where people kind of turn and look and see who's crying and why they're crying and what's going on. And uh, well, Mavis decided to take her tax refund dollars and buy little bags and she filled them with coloring books and you know, just um, little quiet things to help kids have something special to look at when they were in the nursery um, or in the regular church with their with their families. So I love that. And then she asked somebody to build stands. So someone in the church ended up building some pretty wooden stands and then they could put the little the little quiet bags on the stands and families who wanted one could take one. And I love that because I thought, you know what, she looked at something and instead of being annoyed by it and saying somebody should really fix that cuz that's that's really bad um she said what can i do what can what little thing can i do to help with this situation and that that to me is great kindness well and i think today uh, nicole when we have you know an in- increasing percentage of families who have children on the spectrum their ability to process um you know, relationships, noise, interaction, all of that is very different and distinct. I think that, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm just recognizing that people who have kids with special needs, they, that is the least served population in the country in terms of who's actually going to church. And so if we can help those families accommodate uh, the particular needs of their children um, in, in spaces and places, and yes, in the context of our worship service, um, if we can do that, recognizing that the fullness of the body of Christ is not present if those people are absent, then I think that's, you know, that's huge. So helping accommodate um, people who not only have little noisy children, but kids who, um, you know, who are having challenges just with the environment in general and interaction with people specifically, it's just huge. It's a huge ministry today. Absolutely. And and those people need to come and feel refreshed by the Word of God. So those families, yep, I agree Amen. with you, Carmen. Amen. Nicole Phillips, thanks uh, as always so much. You guys can check it out at NicoleJPhillips.com and you can send her a little encouragement or a housewarming gift. Right? You guys are in a house. (laughs) We're celebrating that. 
Woohoo! Praise All right. <laughs> Praise God. All right. We'll be right back. When the days are dreary, After my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without Okay, some great questions coming over the text line about um, our conversation with Dr. Brian Bays about the friendship course. Um, so if you email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com, um, I can attach the syllabus for the course. I can't attach it to the text message, but if you send me your email on the text line, um, I could turn around and and send you an email with that information. So Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com or 877-933-2484. I can send you the syllabus for the Christian Friendship course. Uh, maybe it's something that you want to adapt for use in your own church or community. Um, absolutely, we'd love people to be talking more about it. And for those of you who are looking forward to having um, my having more conversations with uh, with Brian Bays from Boyce College about this course, um, we are going to reach out and see if he can come back. With us now, Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association, so kind to uh, to visit with us periodically. Um, Dr. Stevens, welcome back. It's great to be with you, Carmen. So this is when I'm supposed to ask as a follow-on to my last question. Um, what, in your, By your own just personal definition, what's a friend? What does friendship look like? That's a good question. I think someone that you help meet their needs and they help you meet yours. I mean, the mm. the friendship is something deeper than an acquaintance, and uh, you feel that connection. Uh, you enjoy that person. Uh, you're concerned about their needs and concerns as much or nearly as much as your own, and uh, the closer the friend, the more that uh, that's the case. I've got a close friend that I've worked with here at CMDA for 25 years. We live close to each other. We talk often. We go on vacation together. I mean, it's a deep, deep friendship, and I feel like I could share anything with him, and he could do the same with me. So you look out for each other, uh, and there's, you know, casual, more casual friends and then deeper friends, and the deeper the friendship, the more meaningful it is to you. Mm, absolutely. So, um, we have this recent research uh, just related to people and who they turn to in terms of consultation. And I guess I'm hoping that everybody out there listening has a real friend to whom they can turn when they are uh, trying to make a major life decision. What the research is showing us, Dr. Stevens, is that people uh, very, very infrequently, I mean really infrequently, turn to their pastor. Very infrequently do people turn to members of the clergy when they are making a major life decision. They do turn often to financial advisors, and they do often turn to their doctor. Um, I would love for you to just talk with us about that relationship that the patient has with the doctor in terms of the co- the consultative nature of um, of what doctors are prepared to talk with people about, and maybe what we should expect when we are asking our doctor about a major life decision. Yeah, you know, I, I tell our members, and there's over close to 20,000 of them now, that one of the best mission fields left in this country is in their offices because they have this type of relationship with patients, and rough, nothing's really out of bounds. I mean, uh, sometimes in friendships, you're, you know, concerned about getting into certain areas. As a physician, you're probing into every area of their life, and of course, medical conditions and questions about that, but uh, our psychological state, our emotional state really affect our health. 
Uh, we look for things like depression and uh, and that type of thing, P- childhood problems, having trouble rearing my kids. I'm I'm concerned about Johnny. I, I'm concerned about Susie. You know, those type of things. So you get in just a wide range of topics, and you're asking open-ended questions a lot, and then getting down to very specific questions about intimate matters that nobody else would ask you about. Uh, you know, from your bowel habits to you name it. Uh, so you get an eye, you can see the signs of depression, you can see the signs of stress, you can see the signs of burnout, and all those things have a profound impact on the health. So um, you have to be well-versed in a lot of areas. Uh, you've got to be attuned to uh, signs and symptoms, things they say in their conversation, things you find on physical exam, uh, that give you um, uh, an idea that you need to be digging deeper into that area. And then having uh, f- uh, good advice or referral or whatever. And I've referred patients to their pastor and say, I'd like you to spend some time. Would you like me to call your pastor and, and see if they could have a time to talk to them about this spiritual issue you're struggling with? Because the, the, the hardest thing about being a physician, especially in this day and time, is your time is so limited with patients and you have so much you have to do in, in five to 10 minutes, uh, maybe 15, unless it's a full history and physical, you have very little time with the patient. Sometimes I'll say, we, we just kind of touched on this. Can I get you back uh, into the office uh, next week or when would be a good time? We need to dig into this a little bit deeper and, and see if I can help you more with what you're struggling here with. And, uh, and then a good referral system of other people that assist you in these areas. So let me ask a follow-up question, Dr. Stevens. Um, if I know prior to my my appointment, if I know that um, there are some things that I might want to talk with my doctor about and that it might take a little bit longer than the five or ten minutes she's going to have, um, how do I communicate that? You do that when you make your appointment. You say, listen, I've got some things to discuss. Can I have a longer appointment with the doctor? Okay, with so the just doctor? ask for a longer appointment. Ask for it. Yeah. Okay. And they may schedule you. If I know there's something like that, I might schedule the patient at the end of the day where yep. I know, you know, and and tell them, hey, we may be a little late getting to you because I may be backed up from what's happened earlier in the day. But I want to give you the time you need. And so that's one way to uh, make sure you have enough time to deal with significant problems. Oh, that's um, that's really good counsel. Thank you so much. All right. We got to take a quick break when we come back. Um, I'd love for us to spend a little time talking about some recent headlines related to suicide. So I'm talking with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can follow them uh, on Twitter at CMDA National. We'll be right back. So increasingly in the United States of America, um, people are taking their own lives, and particularly among uh, those who we would describe as senior adults. And so joining me for a conversation today, Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them online at cmda.org. Dr. Stevens, um, suicide is something that I will admit to you. I um, I have thought about something uh, as something that younger men do in in despair and something that um, middle-aged people do when life's not working out as they expected or uh, and but I have not thought of it as something that older adults turn to and yet that's what we're seeing can you just speak to this crisis of suicide that we find ourselves in 
Well, it's interesting because we think more of it about young adults because there are many more attempts by them. Uh, about, But only about one out of 200 attempts by a young adult is successful. When you look at senior citizens, and now we're talking about people over age 85, one out of four of them that make this attempt are successful. And that's because they tend to have better plans and deadlier means. They're more isolated, so they're not found when they make this attempt. They're isolated so people don't see the symptoms and signs that this might be happening. This may be considering this. And then they're frailer. I mean, their their general health is not that good, so their ability to recover from whatever they attempted uh, is um, is not as good. So, yeah, the, the most common group for successful suicides between the age of uh, 44 and 65, but just about a half a percent below that is people over 85 and mainly white men. Uh, that take this step. And, and there's a myriad of reasons that uh, that this is the case. You want to talk about some of those reasons? Sure. Uh, loneliness would be mm-hmm. way up there. Uh, our families are much more disconnected. Uh, you know, 50, 75 years ago, uh, you know, you live close to your family. You were checking in on your parents. Uh, children may live halfway across the country. And uh, loneliness is a big one. Uh, oftentimes, loneliness is is attached to losing uh, their their husband or wife in this age group that causes this um, bereavement as well. Um, not doing bereaving well, the grief process and and leads into depression and triggers that and uh, causes a major depression that tempts they take to their life. Um, the transitions, there's a lot of transitions as you get older, you transition from a purpose in your life, uh, a job that you go to every day. And some people don't do that well. And that, that uh, without a purpose, uh, people are more likely to take the step or a serious disease, a chronic disease, uh, decreased functioning and unable to perform routine daily tasks. Uh, can lead to uh, depression. They can't drive anymore. They can't read very well because their eyes are going bad. They don't have people to talk to. So transitions are a very difficult time. And so there's a lot of things out there that precipitate this and, and red flags that we should be watching for in our own loved ones and friends that as they get elderly to see uh, if something's happening that we need to intervene on. So how how do we have a conversation? How do we start this conversation with an older adult who we know and love? I mean, how do I, you know, um, how do I get to the point down the road? Because right now I'm still blessed to have uh, my mom and my stepdad, you know, alive and well at 81 and 86. But the day, you know, the day is coming when one of them will go to be with the Lord and the other one will be terribly lonely. And we're going to have to have the conversation about who moves where in with whom. Um, those are conversations that, right, they're coming in my life. They're coming in everybody's life if we're not already upon that moment. Um, how do we initiate? How would you recommend we initiate those conversations? Well, they usually don't. You don't come and say, Dad, are you feeling sad? Or Mom, are you feeling sad? Because often they will not express that. But you look for the the signs and symptoms of this. Uh, especially if they're getting suicidal, and we can talk more about depression in a second, but, you know, they're stockpiling medications. They're really urgently wanting to revise their will. That's a big red flag. we got to get this done. Um, alcohol and drug use uh, patterns change. 
and they're using more sleeping pills. Their sleeping habits are changing. They give you statements of hopelessness or with, uh, I see them withdrawing uh, socially. I took care of my father-in-law. He lived with us for seven years as he went through dementia. And I remember him, you know, having some of these symptoms. I mean, he banged his head against the wall. My head's not working. My head's not working. He was a Christian college professor and uh, and saw these changes that happened to dementia and, and towards the end tried to cut his wrist with a pencil, which is pretty impossible to do. But, you know, those things, some of this goes along with diseases. And so you need to be looking at that. Um, things like Parkinson's and other diseases have depression associated with them. Other things when you begin to see red flags or concerns about this is to get them to their doctor and go over their medications. There's all sorts of medications that have depression as a side effect. So are there some reversible things that we can do. I remember we were in Kenya as missionaries. I got a call from my mom, which is pretty unusual. It's hard to get a hold of us where we were. We still had one of those phones that you turn the the, the handle on the side to to, to use. So, <laughs> and when my mom called, Dad had had uh, you know a minor heart attack, and she called me and she said, "I don't know what's going on with your dad. My dad was an evangelist, outgoing, fun to be with, always optimistic." He says, "Your dad's sitting around the house crying all the time." Mm. And I said, has he been to the doctor lately? He said, yeah. And did they put him on some medicines for his heart disease? Yes, they put him on Enderol. I said, that's the problem. That's the problem. Mm. Now, you would know that. I knew that because with that drug is associated deep depressions in some people. And my dad was crying all the time, never done that any time in his life. So are there causes that can be fixed? Secondly, how can we help them uh, get uh, non-isolated? And it's unusual in this day and time, but so much needed to bring people into your home or at least bring them near to you so they're not socially isolated. Give them a purpose. Give them a new um, outlet, a habit. I have a good friend. Uh, uh, she, her husband was my mentor when we were missionaries and still stay in contact with her. She's 86 years old. And she is an avid Facebook user, talking to people and her friends, missionary friends that have retired from all over the country. She plays Scrabble online. Hey, she may have six games going at one time. <laughs> and and so she's got these social outlets. There's things that she looks forward to, things she enjoys, new new habits, new hobbies, new that type of thing. So how can you shift those people as they move into that? Uh, to get them out of social isolation and help them with their transitions and give them a purpose. And they want time with you as well. And we get very busy. And I would be one to say I've been guilty of this. And mom's a long ways away. And we're just so busy. And I can't take another trip this weekend. But some of that is very much needed or FaceTime or do something uh, to help with the social isolation that can occur. So there's a lot of things we can do in opening the conversation, watching for these signs and symptoms, and then doing something about it uh, when uh, you see it and help them to have social outlets, purpose in life, get to see their grandkids. All those things can be helpful. Dr. Stevens, that is really helpful. Um, I also appreciate the way in which in all of that, you sort of help us see how technology can serve us um, in, in all of this, and I think that's just helpful as well. Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You guys can follow them on Twitter at CMDA National. You can also find them online, cmda.org. Dr. Stevens, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, that might be a breakpoint that we want to bookmark. Uh, yeah, check check out what um, what John Stone Street is doing wherever he's doing it, and go listen to him. 
He's one of my favorites. Okay, next up, uh, another one of my favorites, Peter Kapsner. Uh, he is going to be joining us today via Skype. He and I continue this conversation in what we call the Fifty Shades of Truth series. Um, and we are going to continue to till the soil of uh, the purity culture conversation. What does purity mean? The Joshua Harris conversation um, about the renunciation of his Christian faith uh, and what that looks like in terms of the reaction and response of his friends uh, who are now responding online. And so this is something happening very publicly, and it's worthy of our conversation and consideration because it is uh, something happening in the life of the church. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The single most common question parents ask me is, what is the most important thing I can do as a parent to help my kids? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Parents always seem somewhat surprised when I tell them that the most important thing they can do is join a small group. But here's the simple truth. Parents need support. As a mom or dad, you're going to face challenges that will test your patience, endurance, and faith. There will be days when you feel like stepping down as a parent and looking for another job with less stress and better pay. That's why we need people around us who can offer help when we're struggling, celebrate when things are going well, and listen when life is spiraling out of control. Parenting is a dawning assignment, and don't go it alone. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Dr. Peter Kapsner is in the house. I've never introduced him this way. He's the president of Moto Alliance, Moto, M-O-T-O. You can find them at MotoAlliance.com. Am I even pronouncing it right? You you nailed it, Carmen. I had no idea you were going that direction this morning. That's great. Well, it's because I'm praying today for um, farmers, and I'm praying today with people who work with farmers and for farmers, and you are a farm implement guy, and so China tariffs matter to you. And the chaos uh, matters to you, even though Jesus also matters in influencing students positively um, in their relationships and in their education matters to you as a college professor. Um, I know that, you know, you've got a day job. I do. I do. You know, and I'm glad you bring it up, Carmen, because we do deal with people that are just, you know, they're regular salt of the earth people. And, and it's uh, some of the favorite work that I do throughout the week is just meeting with people, talking with people, uh, hearing about their stories. And it's it's kind of weird to say that business can be ministry. I think it's supposed to be that way. But there's it's almost nothing more delightful than when somebody who has been impacted financially by these tariffs, and, and they really have been, the, the margins on revenue for farmers are quite thin. And so if we as a business can figure out ways to help get good products to them and uh, offer some sort of tariff sales, as it were, stuff like that. It's not just some sort of ploy to get people through the door of the business. It really can be a place where you can help people keep moving forward in their life. So I don't know if people need a Viper winch or a Denali plow or a Firestorm <laughs> heater or an innovative evolution accessory. I don't even know what that you is. You sound like you're on my website, super fun. I am. I'm just reading your website. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, and I, I, I bring this up because we've been talking about friends here today on the show, and you and I are going to pivot and have a conversation about 
Joshua Harris's friends and the way they um, are very publicly responding to um, his announcement that he is walking away, has walked away, not only from his marriage, but from uh, the Christian faith, no longer describing himself as a Christian. So many directions we could go in this conversation. Um, you and I started to till the soil a week ago. I'm just wondering what you're thinking now. Yeah, that article uh, from the Gospel Coalition of his friends reflecting on Josh Harris's life and and his walking away from the faith, walking away from his marriage. I think the thing that really stuck out to me, Carmen, was a statement sort of in the middle of this article that they had uh, written. And it was along the lines of maybe we went ahead and uh, put young leaders into places of prominence far too early in their lives. And there, there is sort of this emphasis, isn't there, when you try to find the next generation leader to be sort of hip and to, and, and to be cool and to be quote unquote relevant. However, we define relevance, which I'm not sure is always consistent with kingdom relevance and putting these people in some pretty heady places where there's a lot of influence, there's a lot of power, there's a lot of getting to know sort of their voice. And of course, Josh Harris was somebody who did his theological training uh, after ending up in this place of a pretty visible ministry. And I'm not saying that the theological training is 100% necessary to do ministry, but it's a little upside down in, in terms of other cultures. And when you look through history, that for somebody to move into a place of leadership, there's usually a long-term kind of pattern of mentorship that happens and a lot of training that does happen because ministry is a complex and difficult environment in which to be. You're dealing with a lot of different things. And I can't imagine any other vocation that people do in our country, Carmen, where you just throw somebody to the wolves right away in places of significant leadership. And yet sometimes in the church, we say, hey, you know, that pastor is 27 years old. It's got the stubbly beard, got the perfect hair, got the, you know, the horn rim glasses, seems to have some charisma and uh, maybe could draw some young people in the church. Let's put them up there. And, and that can lead to some pretty devastating consequences. Not always, but it really can. So I had this uh, similar conversation a few years back, a handful of years now, um, about a, a woman who had been elevated into very, very prominent um, leadership in terms of like speaking at women of faith conferences and get, been given you know really big book deals and those kinds of things because she's really dynamic. Um, she's also totally not legit when it comes to like her interpretation of scripture or her application yep. of the scriptures to life. But because she's a really dynamic speaker and likable and had kids and she had a really, really popular mommy blog, um, man, that's the person we want because that person will sell tickets. So we'll be, you know, we, we'll get people in the seats. And, um, you know, Women of Faith is actually no longer a ministry. That that, that came to a crushing end. Um, so one person misplaced, m elevated at the wrong, uh, you know, to a, to a place where they – they don't have, um, you know, you know, frankly, Peter, there's not enough tread on the top. I don't even know how to say that. Yeah. Right. There's too much tread on the top. Yep. Whatever. It's right. like it's they're too fresh. Right. Yeah. Um, they're they're not um, they're not yet set, frankly, in uh, in in any sort of understanding of the scripture as applied to life. Um, and that's problematic if we're going to follow them. It, it really is, Carmen. I think you hit on a really important dynamic, even when you use that phrase, selling tickets. There, There is such a, a pressure 
to have a church that is considered to be viable or a ministry that's considered to be viable by economic metrics. And so you sort of pursue these charismatic leaders, as you mentioned, that can sell a lot of tickets, maybe wrote a provocative book. And it's a fairly big draw for people to do these kinds of things. And then and then the money does start coming in. And pretty soon you maybe even are equating that money with God's blessing and we're going the right direction. And it gets confusing really fast, Carmen. And, and I think I mean, I only sort of half jokingly say, in fact, I'm not even joking at all when I say that when I now am reading the scriptures in my life, I feel like I'm at about 15 percent proficiency in the sense of having a pretty reasonable understanding of any given passage of scripture. I mean, I went to four years of seminary and seven years of Ph.D. work, and you still really there's there's a lot of Bible, is there not? I mean, there's a mm-hmm. lot of stories that mm-hmm. when you read across them, you might be familiar with the character. You might sort of know the story. But but any chapter, any passage in scripture literally needs weeks at times to really mine out what's there. And uh, and so we do we need a lot longer and a lot more consistent training. And I think the focus has to be much more so on preparing a person for ministry in the kingdom, which is often different than ministry that is successful economically or vocationally. And so to throw young people into these places and then have what happened here right with Josh Harris happen is he was so influential, so young. And then this whole situation flames out. What is the devastating impact of that for the future generations? So I want to talk when we come back about um, the value of lifelong monogamous heterosexual marriage, because I think that when when we're having a conversation about um, sex, when we're having a conversation about marriage, when we're having a conversation about church leadership, we are having a conversation about the bride of Christ and how we view her and how we are either a part of that or we are not, and that she is going to be presented to Jesus um, pure and undefiled. Uh, th- the question is not whether or not I have a membership card in a church. That's not the question of whether or not I'm saved. The question is whether or not I'm recognized as a part of the bride on the day the bride is presented to the bridegroom. Like, that's it. And that's a standard of being in Christ in such a way that I'm recognized as a part of the pure and holy uh, church of Jesus Christ. And so um, when we come back, I would love to have this conversation and how this is so countercultural. This is so different than the conversation that the culture is having about sex, about marriage, and certainly with young people today. I'm talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner, and he and I will return to this conversation in just a moment. So, Dr. Peter Kapsner, when we um, when we are talking about marriage and we're talking about people leaving their marriages and and they're they're not only leaving their marriages, they're also departing from faith in Jesus Christ. I think that the corruption of marriage in in our day is probably like it probably tops the list of um, gross misunderstandings of the kingdom and the scriptures and who we are, identity itself, um, of anything, of any single thing that I could point to. Yeah, I, I agreed. And, and I think, you know, one maybe helpful starting point to consider, like, where did this all start going a bit wonky is uh, when, when marriage really gets reduced down to the idea that I'm feeling a bit lonely and I would like to have a companion to do my journey of life with, and we can experience things together, and it's about the two of us. And and when we distill marriage down to simply just trying to find a companion for life, I, I think we miss 
what is the biblical call to marriage that's also consistent with what you referenced before the break, and that is Jesus and the bride of Christ, is that Jesus and his bride are not meant to just simply live in sort of companionship with each other. There is companionship, but there, there, there's a bigger mission, there's a bigger ministry, there's a bigger call, and that's then in their companionship, in their love, in their unity, to turn their faces outward towards the world and uh, shine the light of Jesus into the world. And that's consistent with Genesis 2 as well, where you see the creation of male and female. We sometimes, I think, misunderstand that passage where it says that it's not good that man should be alone, I'll create a helper suitable, as this, this idea that it's not good that Adam was hanging out and sort of just twiddling his thumb being bored. The, the, the whole context of that passage is that it isn't uh, helpful that Adam should try to manage God's unfolding kingdom on his own. There needs to be sort of this azer is the word in the Hebrew, this help, this, this person who stands alongside of him and they are equals and they are different and they're bonded together in one flesh as their faces turn outward and then do the stewardship of God's world together. And so Carmen, all of that's to say is that if marriage is only about companionship, well, then you start asking questions three, four, five, six years in, right? Well, I'm not sure that this is my companion. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I want. The personality test didn't seem to work out. Or I could get married to him if I'm a him or her if I'm a her, if it's about companionship, but it, all of that. But if you've been called by God into a bigger call of stewarding his kingdom together, that call is what holds you together in those rough times of marriage that then shines this light of sort of this unity for a lifetime. And we know, don't we, the effects of healthy marriages on future fit families and society and just the stability that's represented there can be really helpful. But all of that's to say we could spend a couple hours talking about how if we start with the idea that it's only about companionship, we're probably going to end up in a pretty difficult spot. So... You know, answering um, answering the question of loneliness, I think, is is essential here. We, we've actually talked during this program today about Christian friendship, which I think is also mm. an essential part of this conversation. I think that social media is a part of this conversation. I think that being a part, uh, an active member in the life of a local church where you are a part of the family of faith in a substantive way, um, no matter no matter your uh, marital status— I remember a conversation with Sam Alberry we had here on the show. He's single, um, and he talks about the necessity of the church functioning, really functioning as a family for single people and at all stages and ages of life. Um, and so I do think that I, I think these are these are essential conversations to have. I, I, I don't yep. think we can talk about these things too much. Um, and I think that when we are talking with younger people, helping them understand what marriage is from God's perspective, what marriage is eternally, um, you know, the eternal reality of the of the bride and her bridegroom, Christ, um, and that marriage here is just an image of that. Like marriage right. here is not the goal of life. Um, you know, being in a marriage is a wonderful opportunity to grow um, in all kinds of ways spiritually that that I never had the opportunity to grow as a single person. Um, you know, as a single person, Peter, and I was single in my early 40s, you know, when I went home to my house, everything that was still where I left it, mm. that, is not, that is not true anymore. Like, people no, eat right. stuff out of the fridge during the day today. Like, I, <laughs> like I, whatever my plans might be, like, they're intruded upon by a, a household full of people, right? So, right. Um, but we learn to live in community when we are married and when we are in a family. And we learn 
Um, we will learn what it's going to be like in the kingdom of heaven in some ways, right? And we learn a lot about forgiveness and grace. And so there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of important things that we learn when we're living with other people in community. And the most, uh, you know, sort of essential building block of any society is marriage and the family. That seems to be lost in the conversation that we're having today. Yeah, it absolutely is, Carmen. And uh, I think you hit on a couple of very key points there in that has to do with loneliness and it has to do with a sense of, so what is my future if I'm just by myself? And we, you know, I teach in a Christian institution and, and I love the Chris, Christian institution in the in this 18 to 22 year old environment, which I find myself. And that is an environment in which a lot of young people are wondering, am I going to find a companion for a lifetime? And we, we sort of chuckle because one of the classes that I teach on sexuality is mostly geared towards juniors and seniors at 21, 22. And we laugh and say, you know, if you couldn't find a spouse in these first three years, you know, you sort of failed out of the kingdom, right? I mean, we say that tongue in cheek, we're just trying to point out the obvious that a lot of times uh, there's there's sort of this expectation if I go to a Christian school that I'm going to find a spouse for a lifetime. And, uh, and if I'm 22 years old and now facing an uncertain future and I don't know what to do, uh, and I'm certainly going to be relegated to the junior varsity or to the bench in the kingdom if I can't find a spouse. Uh, and people end up getting married that shouldn't maybe get married because they're so worried about future loneliness uh, when they're 22 heading out of college. What am I going to do with my life? And marriage is a much different call. And it's only one of the ways that you've rightly pointed out that the church is bonded together to sort of tend and to guard to God's uh, ever unfolding future. And so if we had a church environment that was maybe more robustly relational than it was focused on an hour service in which uh, you kind of sit by yourself and uh, maybe the spotlight is on the worship leader and then the spotlight is on the speaking pastor, you can actually get in and out of church these days without ever really maybe having a conversation with somebody. And when you read the New Testament about the church and the early church and how they were representing God on earth, it was always by their love for one another. And love requires a relationship. And, and I think that we could move towards a greater healing and, and even remove some of the confusion of marriage if we understood we are bonded together, young and old, single and married. Nobody's part of the junior varsity in this deal. We're all one as we're trying to tend to God's future together in a variety of ways. And marriage is a difficult journey. Single is a difficult journey. Uh, there's You can't swap one for the other and say, hey, it's going to be much better this way. It's all difficult. And we have to stay unified together as a church in doing this. And I think if we focus more on relationships than on sort of this relevant, you know, big production kind of message, we we might be able to help bring some healing into this. All right, my friend, uh, there will be more and more soil to till here in the coming days. Thank you, as always, so much. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks, Carmen. Love hanging with you. Likewise, likewise. All right, we got to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So uh, Caroline is concerned that I sound depleted. I think I'm just grieved in my spirit. And so uh, let's be praying together for one for one another today. Appreciate you praying for me as always. Uh, I'm okay. I'm just grieved in spirit today. I'm grieved in spirit this week. And I think that I'm grieving with those who are grieving across the country. Um, I'm mourning with those who are mourning today in all kinds of ways and in all in all kinds of places. And so let's be really sensitive today in in our spirit to what's going on spiritually in the world around us and in the lives of those nearest to us. 
Uh, and let's be praying for one another. Let's be mutually encouraging one another today. I will be praying for you. Please be praying for me as well. Um, all right, you are gonna uh, you are gonna run across conversations today that um, encourage and discourage, and you are the agent of God's grace in the midst of all of that. So speak truth, do so in love, with great gentleness and in humility. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.